Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. We've been in a series called Coming Out Better. I'm talking about the concept that God is in this situation with us, that God is in the dark places with us. Last uh, Two weeks ago, I talked about developed in the dark, that God does his best work in dark places. I think sometimes a lie of the enemy will be that because we're in a dark season or a dark place, God is absent. But I would actually propose that it's in the dark places that God is doing his best work, that he is closest to us, and that he didn't bring us there to leave us there, but he is going to bring us out of the dark places and we're going to come out better. Today, my sermon title, title of my talk is Coming Out of the Cave. Coming Out of the Cave. And today, I actually want to talk to you about the subject of spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare. Supernatural warfare. Now, this is a a little bit of a complicated subject um, because it's really beyond us. And I think a lot of times churches don't talk about this subject because sometimes when we do, it gets kind of weird and it gets kind of odd and, and, and uh, gets filled with conspiracies and, and, all, and all that stuff. But, but listen, there is the supernatural. It's in the Bible. There is a fight in the heavenlies. We are a part of the Lord's army. We've got a place in this thing. We know in the end, Jesus wins. And so we, we start from that place. And so I want to speak to you about what supernatural warfare is and how you can take part of it and how you can, I believe, be victorious. This might, the sermon might be a little bit more deeper, a little bit more for intermediate. Uh, so you're going to have to activate your leadership. You're going to have to lean in, um, take some notes, and really just prepare the atmosphere. Because I believe as I speak that God is going to speak specifically to you about really where we are at. I want to read a couple verses to you, famous verses from Ephesians chapter 6. Verse 10 and 11, this is Paul speaking to the church at Ephesus, and he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Now's not the time to be weak. Now's not the time to be laid back. Now's not the time to be disconnected. Come on, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand, note that word, against the devil's schemes. Devil has plans, he's got schemes, but God has plans, God has schemes. We're on the side of Jesus Christ, and he wins. The verse goes on and says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Let me read that again. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Here's what he's saying. He's saying our problem is not just people. It's not flesh and blood. It's not what can be seen and touched. No, there's something else going on. Our struggle, and we are in a struggle, we are in a fight, we are having to take our stand. It's against the rulers and the authorities and the powers of this dark world against spiritual forces of evil that hate God, hate the light, hate the things of God and the people of God. That's who we make our stand against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms beyond. I want to show you this last verse. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, and it does seem that we are in a day of evil, when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. Let's pray. God, we pray right now 
that you use us, you speak to us in these next few moments about what's going on and what we can do to take a righteous stand for you, Lord. God, I pray that you open our eyes and you open our ears, you open our hearts to your word, Lord God. I pray, God, you make us praying, powerful people, and you speak to us in Jesus' name. Come on, all God's people said, amen, amen, and amen, amen. We're in an odd situation We're in a strange season. We're in, you know, a season of struggle. We're in a real struggle. And we're all in this thing. Across the whole world, we're all in an odd season. And and I want to take a few moments and try and just speak to you about kind of what I sense and what I see. And, And maybe you're sensing this too. You know, if you're a Christian, a follower of Jesus, you have a you you have a spiritual nature and you can sense what's going on in the spirit world. You can sense things spiritually. You know, I don't know if you've ever walked into a room where, you know, a fight was just going on or whatever, but, but you can sense it, even if it was never communicated physically. Or, but people are good sensors. They can tell there's strife, there's fighting, there's, there's tension in this room. Why? Because we are sensors. And you have spiritual sensors where you can begin to understand that something is going on. And and right now, I think we are in a, a spiritual season. And I just want to speak to you, try and put some language around kind of where we're at, try and maybe make sense of the spiritual season we're in right now. Obviously, the whole world has a problem with this pandemic. Pandemic. The, the whole world seems to be in crisis and has been over the past few months. And, and it's a global crisis. This, this, this COVID crisis, it's global it's a crisis of health. It's an economic crisis. It's a, a constitutional crisis, a governmental crisis. It's created crises in many people's minds with their mental health and, and what they're feeling and darkness. And, and it's even a crisis in the church, unable to gather. We are in a bit of a strange situation. And it's kind of tough to even understand. We're seemingly out of control. There's nothing we can do, nothing we can say. Many of us don't know what to do. And and I'm not going to tell you, like, here's the four steps and here's the three things and this is what's right, you know, because I don't know what the exact right thing is to do. And I'm not sure almost anyone does. But I do know this. I do know this. There is something going on that's beyond the natural. And there is a struggle. But I'm telling you, the struggle is not with people. There is a supernatural struggle that's going on. So I guess my point today is our struggle in all of this, whatever this is, this struggle, it is first and foremost spiritual. First and foremost. Above anything else, it's spiritual. And many of you have been able to sense it. Even if you don't know exactly what or how to put words to it, you sense there's something going on in the spiritual realm. Because the reality is there is, a such, there is such a thing as supernatural spiritual warfare. And I believe that's the season that we're finding ourselves in as a church, as people. You know, it feels like something has entered the atmosphere. Something is going on that we can't understand. And I know many of us are in this place. Many of the spiritual people that I talk to, the, the people, the intercessors, the prayer people, the prophetic people, the people that I know that really have a communication with God, they can sense that something is up that they've never seen before, that no one quite understands what's going on, but it's happening in the supernatural. 
And if you're feeling this way, you know, many, many people are feeling this way. It seems like we are a season, we are in a season of, of greater darkness. And this isn't the first time the world has entered seasons of darkness. In fact, it's happened many times before. Many times in our history, it has seemed as if a darkness came over the, over the earth. Other times, it seems as if light has come on the earth, and we call those seasons revivals. But there are other ages where darkness came over the earth. Even in our recent history, in the 1930s and 1940s, we saw the Great Depression, where an economic devastation didn't just come on this country, it came on the whole world. And then right on the heels of that was World War II, uh, an international war that, that came on the world that brought with it the spirit of violence and hatred and murder. And it's almost as if this dark force was looking to see who is open, who's available, that I can come on. And this force came on whole countries of people that not only began to go to war with other countries, they began to murder their own people. That's evil. It was a demonic spirit. But so a spirit of light began to come on on other countries that rose up against this thing. And there was a great battle that was happening in the natural, but I'm telling you, it was a reflection of also what was happening in the supernatural. There have been times of great devastation that this earth has felt, and it seems like we are seemingly entering another season like this, where we can't figure out what's going on, and we don't fully understand it. And I am here to, to tell you we are in a fight, and the fight is darkness versus light. It is shadows versus light. But our fight is not against flesh and blood. It is a supernatural fight first and foremost. Our fight is against the darkness, but Jesus comes and he says, but I am the light. When Jesus revealed himself, he says, if anyone has seen me, they've seen the Father. In other words, he came to reveal who God is. He came to reveal the kingdom of God on earth. And Jesus makes this incredible statement. He says, yes, there is darkness in the world, but I am the light. It reminds me of Genesis, where in the beginning, the, the, there was only darkness, only void, but God began to move, and God began to speak, and all of a sudden, God speaks light into the darkness. Light into the darkness. Jesus shows up. He says, I am that light. So the shadows and the darkness, they are real, but I believe they will only, if you allow them, they will reveal that there is a greater source and there is a greater light in this earth. So I'm not going to be consumed. I'm not going to put my faith in the shadows or in the darkness. I'm not going to put my faith into the fear of the darkness. I'm going to put my faith into the light that the darkness reveals. Jesus is the light of the world. He is the source of hope and peace and love and joy. He is the source and I pray that we as a church, as people, as Christians, we seek the source of light in this world. We seek the source who is Jesus Christ. There's a famous uh, allegory that the philosopher Plato uh, proposed. And if you've taken any basic philosophy courses, you have heard this allegory before. It's one of the greatest stories ever written, ever told. But the allegory of the cave is about the process of awakening. And, and Plato Plato begins it by proposing that we would imagine that there are prisoners who are chained together. And in this allegory, the prisoners are chained and bound in their hands and legs, and they're only able to face an empty wall. And on 
Uh, and, 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 and that's all there is, is the empty wall. But behind them is a fire which casts shadows and light on this wall. So when people walk back and forth behind the prisoners in front of the fire, what cast, what's cast on the wall is the silhouettes, the shadows of the people. They're not the real people. They're only the reflections, the shadows of the people. Behind them, these people begin to create characters of animals and trees, and they hold them up in front of the fire, and it casts a shadow on the wall. And the prisoners begin to name what these silhouettes, these shadows, these animals are. And growing up in this, this becomes their reality. When they hear the voices behind them, they only hear as reverberation echoes of the shadows off the wall. And pretty soon, they say, this is all that is. This is reality. Their reality was that of shadows. Now, Plato proposes, what if someone, a great philosopher, came and set one of the prisoners free? unblocked his chains, lifted him up, and showed him the rest of the room. The prisoner would see the fire. He would see the people. He would see the caricatures. And he would begin to have a greater understanding of what he saw as reality on the wall were merely shadows of something else. Now, Plato says, now imagine that prisoner not only saw the fire in the cave, but actually was brought out of the cave. When he, ke- when he came out of the cave, he would be blinded by the true light, the source of the sun. He'd be disoriented. He would, he would not be able to figure out what is real and what's not. It would be overwhelming to him. But after a while, he would begin to get used to a new reality, a greater reality. Note, a reality that was always there, but that he never understood in his finite view of life. He would see not just the silhouette of trees, but real trees. He would see the intricacies and the, the bark on the tree, and, and, and he would see leaves. He, he would see not just the, the, the picture of a bird, but he would see the feathers and the flight of the birds. He would see the sun as the source. Now, if this prisoner went through this awakening process, what would naturally begin to happen is he would begin to think about all those that are still bound in the cave, that have accepted that as reality. And compassion would begin to rise up in him and he would say, I must go back to the cave and I got to tell them about the greater world that exists out here. I got to explain it to them. And so this prisoner would go back into the cave, but now his eyes are not used to that darkness. He's not used to that reality anymore. And he stumbles around and finally finds his way to the prisoners. And they think he looks foolish stumbling around the cave. And as he would begin to try and speak to them and tell them about a greater reality, the prisoners would begin to laugh at him. They'd begin to be annoyed by him. They'd mock him, saying all of these foolish and fanciful things about seemingly nonsense. But pretty soon, the prisoners would move from mocking and laughter to anger, and they would plot to kill this man to shut him up and soon rise up and murder the man to quiet him from all of the strange ideas that he's trying to bring them into. Here's the interesting thing. What Plato is saying, and and he's speaking in philosophical terms, but I think we can hear it in spiritual terms, is there are greater realities outside of our finite viewpoints. And if we're speaking spiritually, I propose to you that there is a greater reality that is an unseen world. It's a spiritual world. But hear me, it is actually more real than the shadow world that we live in right now. 
the dimly lit world that we live in right now, what we call reality is so finite, it's so temporary, it's so small, but there is an eternity that there is a God, there is heavenly realms, there is a supernatural, there is angelic beings that are so real. Even, if, even though we can't just see them or, or, or speak or touch, that doesn't make them not real. And Jesus was the true and great philosopher. Jesus was the one that was in that heavenly realm, and yet he allowed himself to leave that place and come into the cave to unlock us. When Jesus revealed himself, he says, my purpose is to set the captives free, to bring liberty to the oppressed. This is why Jesus came, was to bring awakening to us. And humanity treated him as they've treated so many prophets before him, so many truth tellers before him. They mocked and laughed and plotted and murdered him. But see, Jesus' whole point of coming to earth was to come amongst us. John 1 says he was the light of the world who came into a dark place that he might dwell among us, that his light would shine in the darkness. And by the way, that the darkness would not overcome his light and would not overcome him. And I pray that it will not overcome you. The Bible says he came to his own, but his own did not recognize him. His own did not see him for who he really was. I want you to know there is a heavenly realm. This earth is but a cave. It's just shadows. But there is a supernatural realm. And this is what Jesus came to unlock for us to enter into. So I guess my question for you, for us, is will we stay living in the shadows and the temporary and the small, or will we seek the source of light? Will we seek the source of truth, of freedom, of liberty? Will we seek the source who is Jesus Christ? Do we accept the shadows? Do we accept what is? Or do we acknowledge that there is something greater out there and we know it on our hearts? I mean, think about it. When we get, when we get thirsty, we, instant, we have an instinct to go drink water because we, we feel thirsty. But whenever we get into a place where we don't understand, we don't know, when tragedy strikes and crisis comes, there's another instinct that starts to rise up in us, isn't there? And it's the instinct of prayer. Prayer is the way that we reach beyond what we can see and tap into the unseen but very real spiritual realm. That instinct that every human has ever had who's lived on planet Earth, that instinct for prayer is a signpost towards God saying, reach out to Jesus. Reach out to the source. Reach out to the light. Do not get comfortable in the cave. You're chosen. You're set apart. Look at what Peter says to remind us of this. He says, you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are God's special possession. This is what the Bible says about you. You are chosen you are royal, you are holy, and you are special to God. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Jesus' whole purpose was to call you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. He gave up his life so that you would be able to be unchained, come out of the cave into his wonderful light. Hear me, church. Do not get comfortable in the cave right now. Do not get comfortable. Do not allow apathy, the temporary, the what is, to become your only reality. Jesus gave his life so that you could 
have a supernatural life. Can you say amen? He gave his life so that your life could be filled with power. He gave his life so that you could have awakening. Hear me, don't get comfortable in the cave. David was called out of the cave. Gideon was called out of the cave. Jesus was called out of the cave. I believe God will do great work in the cave, but you are not called to live in the comfortable, in the apathetic, in the mundane, in the closed-minded, or in the small. Don't get comfortable. If we're not careful, we might say, you know what, though? This is maybe just how life's going to be. You know, so I just decorated my cave. I painted the walls, got a new Netflix account, got a new Xbox. My cave's looking really good. I'm just here, and I'm happy. Listen, Christian, you're called to supernatural things. You're called to greater things. Your prayers are powerful. Do not get comfortable in a small place. Are you with me, church? Do not get comfortable in a small place when Jesus came to set you free, to add you to the Lord's army, because there is greater, and you are needed right now. There is a supernatural struggle going on right now, and your words are needed, your prayer is needed, your faith is needed, your sharpness is needed, your intellect is needed, but more importantly than anything else, your engagement is needed, church. I think about the story of, of Daniel, when he began to pray, and he fasted for three weeks. This is where we get the Daniel fast from. He was, he was captive in Persia, which is modern-day Iran. He was a captive. See, Persia had conquered Israel and had taken Israel captive into the land of Persia, Babylon. And he was there for 70 years with the people of Israel. They were on lockdown for 70 years. They were under rule of an authority for 70 years. But Daniel was such a leader that not only was he a leader amongst his own people, but he began to raise up in the, in the, in the, in the world of Persia. And he was a leader in Persia as well, yet he never forgot who he really is called to be, that he was an Israelite and these were his people. And so Daniel began to pray for his people, saying, Lord, what's next for our people? He was saying, what is the future for our people? You're, you're, he knew that the, the calling of God was not to leave his people in captivity, in darkness, under, a, under an authoritarian regime. He knew that was not the call for Israel. So he began to pray, God, what's next? Have you forgotten us? Where are you, God? And he prayed and fasted for three weeks. And he ate no delicacies, no anointing on his head. You know, no, no, he used no lotions. He, he had no, uh, no desserts. It was just the basic food and a desperate prayer for a man who was asking God for his people. For three weeks he prayed. One day he was by the Tigris River and all of a sudden an angelic being showed up. And he describes it as a supernatural being that appeared in the natural world. And this natural being began to speak to Daniel. And he tells him why he was delayed for three weeks, which is pretty amazing that he's telling him what had been going on in the supernatural realm that had stopped his prayer. And this angel, Gabriel, a messenger of God, told Daniel, he said, when you prayed, God heard instantaneously God heard and God began to get to work to deliver an answer to your prayer. And Gabriel said, so I was dispatched. But somewhere between heaven and Daniel, there was another realm and it was a realm of darkness. Our struggle's not against 
people, but against principalities and powers. Somewhere between the heavenly realm and Daniel's realm, Gabriel had to fight against a demonic entity, a fallen angel that he called the Prince of Persia. So we see this man was given authority over, or this, this, this angel, fallen angel, was given authority over a country, over Persia, which reminds me of when Jesus was being tempted by Satan. What did Satan say? He said, just bow to me and I will give you command over all of the nations of the earth. How could Satan ever say that to Jesus unless he had some level of authority over the entities of the earth? So Gabriel's saying, I was trying to come to you, but there was another authority that I had to contend with that I had to struggle with, that I had to fight with. And he said, for three weeks, I struggled against him and couldn't overcome him until finally I had to call in Michael, who's the archangel of Israel, to come into battle. And finally, I was able to break loose of the prince of Persia and come to you with an answer from God. This is an incredible story. And this reveals what supernatural warfare is like. This reveals what happens, Christian, when you pray. That there are things that are going on that you might not understand or see, but are very, very real. And they're going on in heavenly realms. And, and so he explains to Daniel some of the process of what his prayer and his fasting did and how it led to breakthrough. And then Gabriel begins to give Daniel the vision and explain how things uh, are going to work for Israel and what God's future and hope is for Israel. And he answers the prayer. Here's some interesting things that I see from this story. The first thing that I see is that your prayers pierce the darkness. When Daniel prayed, it pierced the darkness that was, that was over him. The supernatural dark authorities, the, 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 the rulers in high places, his prayer pierced the darkness and entered into heaven, came before the throne room of God. God heard his prayer. God wanted to answer his prayer. God and God began to move on his prayer. Listen, you got to hear me. Your prayers pierce the darkness. You might be thinking, well, I don't know who's out there. I don't know who hears. It feels like I can't break through. Hear me. When Daniel prayed, heaven heard. When you pray, heaven hears. The next thing I see from this story is that your prayers are instantaneously at work, even if the answer is delayed. Your prayers not only are heard by God, that God instantly begins to work on them, instantly begins to send a yes or a no or a not now, but he always has an answer to your prayer and he instantly begins to work towards the answer of your prayer, even if the answer is delayed. We see with Daniel that it took three weeks to, for the answer to get to him. And during those three weeks, Daniel had to push. He had to pray. He had to fast to add some firepower to his prayers so that what was happening in the supernatural, there could be a breakthrough in the supernatural. And it took a mighty prophet like Daniel three weeks. Even if your prayers are delayed, that does not mean they're being denied. Sometimes there's like a lag between heaven and earth. And, and, and it's almost like, like, you know, when, when reporters are speaking from, you know, someone in America speaking to someone in France, and they say, how are you doing over there? And there's like a delay. There's a delay because the information is coming. It just hasn't, it hasn't been received yet. And finally he says, oh, doing great over here. And then there's a delay. There might be a delay between your communication between you and heaven, but I want you to hear me. There is not a denial. God will not be silent forever. In fact, all of heaven might be warring on your behalf. 
If you're feeling oppression and darkness, know that God has dispatched his angels to fight your battle when you begin to pray and ask for help. God loves you. He is for you. He works instantaneously on your behalf. And if there is a delay, there might be a struggle going on in heaven. But I would even challenge you, fast. Get someone to pray along with you. The Bible says two can put 10,000 to flight. Begin to pray. Begin to let your prayer begin to be layered. I would, I would even tell you this. Write down your prayer requests. Because sometimes we just flip. We're not in a state of prayer or anything. We just flippantly throw a prayer up and think, all right, here we go, God. You know, maybe do this. But God's saying, do you want this? Are you serious about this? Because I'm going to dispatch an angel, but there needs to be breakthrough. Will you fast for this thing? Will you get some other people in agreement and in unity on this thing? Maybe you're not going to do a Daniel fast, though. I think that's a great fast. But I'd even challenge you, church. Fast something this week. With me. Fast something. Choose one thing. That hurts. Fast it this week. And let's begin to pray that a breakthrough happens over our region, our cities, our life. I don't know where you're at right now in this crisis. I don't know if you're falling into apathy or falling into darkness. But I'd ask you pray and fast that God will dispatch heavenly angels on your behalf, that there will be breakthrough, and that the fight will begin to turn for the church, for our nation, and for your life. Pray specifically. Write it down. Maybe you even say, oh, I don't really know how to pray. Let me give you a little secret about getting good at prayer. The only way to get good at prayer is by praying. The only way to get good at prayer is by praying. It's something where you just have to practice it. And as you begin to pray, you're going to find the right words. The final thing I see from this is that your prayers in the supernatural change the natural. This is why Jesus said, when you pray, say, our Father, let it be on earth as it is in heaven. Think about the audacity of that prayer. God, we are praying that your kingdom begins to affect the earth. When you pray in the supernatural, it begins to change things in the natural. Maybe things that we can't change on our own. Maybe you feel powerless. Maybe you feel frustrated by what's going on. Maybe you feel like you've tried everything in your marriage or with your children. You've tried everything. After you've tried everything, but I encourage you to pray because there are things that are happening in the supernatural that can change your natural even when you're powerless, even when you have no control. Hear me, you are powerful in prayer. You with me, church? Does this help you? Does this make sense? This is what James says to us. He says, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. What's James saying? He's saying, don't bow down, don't back down. Don't, don't cower away from the attacks of the enemy. So many times some Christians will say, I'm just being attacked by the enemy. Resist the enemy and he will flee from you. He will flee from you. Why? Because God's on your side. He will dispatch angels, but you're going to have to resist. We're going to have to pray. We're going to ha have to fast. We're going to have to push. We're going to have to make some stands. You might have to, you might, it might get controversial, but resist the devil and he will flee from you. You've got more power than you, than you might understand. So what stops us many times? What stops us from prayer? I think simply what stops us from prayer is the busyness of life. I think the schemes of the enemy will do anything to keep us from praying. Anything. Isn't it amazing how you go to pray and then you get a text and you get a call and then you get a response to an email when you're going to start praying and then your kid needs something and then that happens? There's always a distraction because the enemy would rather you do anything than connect with the supernatural realm. 
I know I've heard Christians sometimes say, well, you know, I was going to get a job, but the devil started resisting me. I tried to get a new car, but the devil resisted me. Can I, can I be honest? I don't know if the devil resists you from getting things. I don't know if the devil wants you to be poor your whole life. I don't know if the devil, devil you know, doesn't want you to be wealthy. I don't, I don't know about that. I don't know how concerned he is with that kind of stuff. I think what he's concerned with is your connection to an almighty God. That is where he tries to oppress you. That's the connection he tries and cuts. In fact, if money would keep you from God, the devil would love to give you money. If your family would try and keep you from God, the devil would love for you to be focused on your family. Anything that will, that will cut your connection from God, the devil is for. See, where he tries to come in and oppress you and fight you and withstand you is, where, is the place where you are going to get connected with God. It's in the supernatural realm, through your prayer, through power. I think the lie of the enemy many times comes in our mind and the lie of the enemy tries to say, you're the only one dealing with this thing. And I've heard that so much through this crisis where people feel like the way that they are reacting to it is wrong and they're the only ones reacting to it this way. Some people can't get out of bed. Other people are, are, are going to like a bubble of apathy. Other people are angry and frustrated. And, I, and it, it just seems like, we're all reacting in, in, in different ways. But the enemy wants to come in and say, you're the only one that's feeling like this. You're the only one that's feeling frantic. You're the only one that's feeling fearful. You're the only one that's struggling with your old addiction. You're the only one that's struggling with alcohol right now. You're the only one whose marriage is struggling right now. Can I tell you, everybody's marriage is struggling right now. We need to get out of the house and go to the beach for the love of God. The enemy wants to come and say, you're the only one. I'm here to break that spell. You are not the only one who's struggling right now. We're all struggling. And our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against principalities. It's against powers. It's against something spiritual that's trying to come against this world. It's trying to come against the church. It's trying to come against you. You're not the only one that's struggling right now. I want you to know you're not alone in this. Maybe the enemy's not speaking to your fear, but maybe he's speaking to your pride. Maybe he's saying you're the only one that's praying. Yeah, that's right. You're the only one that saw this thing coming. You're the only one that that knows what to do. You're the only one that's brave enough to say something. You're the only one, and the enemy's gonna speak to your pride. I want you to know you're not the only one. Don't let the enemy, don't let the enemy stoke your fear or your pride. Be humble before God. Say, God, we need you. I need you. And if God could bring our community together, let me tell you, we're not able to meet, but I know we're still a community, and we're still able to have unity, and unity commands a blessing. Let me tell you, the church is more essential now than it has ever been before. You are needed. We are needed. Our prayers are needed. Our church is needed. Our community is needed. The enemy's goal is always isolation. It's always silence. His goal is to get you to have a defeatist mentality. His goal is always to get you cowering in fear. But church, I'm calling you to rise up. Rise out of avoidance, out of apathy, out of sin, out of unbelief. Rise up and re-engage church. Re-engage your spirit nature. Re-engage your prayer life. Re-engage your faith. Re-engage your relationships with faith-filled people. Re-engage church. Now, I think about when Paul says, confront the childish things in you. Look at this verse in 1 Corinthians. He says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. He said, when I was a kid, I was immature and I was consumed with childish things. But when I became a man, 
I gave up childish ways. He said, when I was a man, I put away childish things. I'm calling the church to rise up to another level now. We are not going to think like children. We're not going to think immature, speak immature, pray immature. And we're not, gonna, we're not going to constantly chase pleasure and entertainment and avoidance because that's immature. We're going to confront those things because we're, it's time for us to grow up. It's time for us to fight in a supernatural realm. You know, even this sermon, I was thinking, should I preach this sermon or not? Because when you talk about supernatural things, it's, it's another level. But I feel like it's time for, to go from milk to meat. It's time to grow up a little bit and say, church, what we do is matters, that there is a supernatural right now. It's nothing to be afraid of because we are more than conquerors because of Christ Jesus. But you are going to have to get your armor on. You are going to have to know the word of God. There are some scriptures you're going to have to read. There are some prayers you're going to have to pray. There are some people you need to get around. And we can win this battle, but we are in a fight. There is a fight, and we're in it. We're going to put away childish things. Look at what Paul says, and when you do, it's as if right for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then in eternity we're going to see Jesus face to face. It's as if he's saying right now all we see is shadows, but there is a greater reality, and we're going to come out of the cave into that greater reality. It's called eternity. Right now we only see almost like through a filter, but there's a day where we're going to see Jesus face to face, heaven face to face. He says, for now, I only know in part, but then I shall know fully. I don't understand it all right now. I can't even tell you what's going on right now. But I know it's spiritual. I know it's supernatural. And I know God has not abandoned the earth. So I'm going to engage. Until we see an answer, a breakthrough, or change, we need to engage. We don't know everything, but there's a day when we're going to know fully. Even, he says, as I have been fully known. In other words, that God knows us fully. We don't know him fully yet, but there will be a day when we will. But for now, he knows us. He knows what we're going through. He knows what we need to hear. And he is for us. He is for you, church. He is for you. So don't let the lie of the enemy tell you that you're the only one going through what you're going through. What you're going through is what we're all going through. You're not alone in this fight. I think about Elijah, great story where the prophet feels overwhelmed. Jezebel begins to prophesy, saying, I'm going to kill you, Elijah. And if not, may the gods hold it over my head. So Elijah's afraid for his life, and he, he begins to run, and, and he begins to actually deal with such dark depression, he, he begins to have suicidal thoughts. The great prophet. And God brings him to a quiet place, the cave at Horeb, and it's just just him alone. And here Elijah's complaining and he's isolated. And God says, come out to the front of the cave. And at that moment, there's wind, there's fire, there's earthquake, but God wasn't in any of those big things. But then there's a still small voice. And he begins to ask Elijah, what's troubling you? And Elijah says, God, I'm the only one left. I'm the only prophet left. I'm the only one that's gonna stand up against corruption. I'm the only one that's gonna say something. And God has to remind Elijah of something. He says, you're not the only one. I actually have 7,000 other prophets that have not bowed their knee to the false gods, the demonic gods of Baal, haven't kissed their feet. He says, I actually have 7,000 others. There are more faith-filled people than you think. 
There are more praying people than you might think. There are more people in agreement than you might think. I want to tell you, church, you are not alone in this thing. There are thousands and thousands of others that are praying around you. They are with you. They've got faith. You need to link back up and re-engage church. I think it's so beautiful that God re-encourages him with this thought. There's a big community of believers. And just because you can't see them doesn't mean they don't exist. Just because you can't talk to them face to face doesn't mean they don't exist and doesn't mean I don't hear their prayers. Church, when we begin to pray, when we begin to come together, God really does hear. God has an army and you're in it and your prayers are powerful and they matter. And so I guess I want to say this, church, to you specifically. You matter. You're not alone. I just wanted to clear over, over your life. You are essential. You are essential. You are needed. You are necessary. You are an essential worker. I need for you to hear me say this over you. You are an essential worker. In your home, you are essential. For your spouse, you are essential. For your children, you are essential. You are needed. Your faith is needed. Your voice is needed. Your atmosphere, your joy, your helpfulness is needed. Your mind is needed. You are essential. Your work, the work of your hands, your spiritual work, it is essential. Do not buy in to a branding of unessential. Hear the Spirit of God speak. Jesus says you were, you were bought with a high price. That he literally gave up his life because your life was so essential. Relationship with you was so essential. He loves you. He loves you. More than you could ever imagine, he loves you. He came for you because you matter to him. Church, you're essential. You're not just essential in your home. You are essential to this church. We need you. Crew leaders, we need you. A-teamers, we need you. Those of you that are commenting and having host parties and those of you that are praying on the app, we need you. Church, your prayers are essential. Your faith is essential. Your hope is essential. Your encouragement is essential. Your worship is essential. It's essential. The atmosphere needs you. The spirit world needs your prayers. The angels need your prayers for there to be a breakthrough. You are essential. Your faith is essential. You're serving, you're loving, you're leading. It is necessary. And you're essential for this nation, for this region. I believe that your prayers and maybe your prayers alone can shift what's happening in this region, can break the back of the enemy and the schemes of the devil. You're essential. We need to pray over our leaders because we might be the only ones praying. And there are rulers and principalities that need to know they're not in charge, but that our prayers will begin to change things on earth as it is in heaven. Your prayer is needed. You've got something to say, church, so pray. You've got something to say, so pray. I don't want to complain or post more than I pray because my prayer is powerful. And man, it changes things. Your prayer is going to change things. Pray over our nation. Pray over our leaders. Pray 
that minds change, hearts change, leadership change, pray in the name of Jesus. Maybe you're watching from another nation. You're needed in that nation. Christians all over the world, as we begin to pray globally, could God bring a global change? Our struggle, our problem is not people. Our struggle is first and foremost spiritual. But we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. We have supernatural strength through our prayer and through our faith. So I want to encourage you right now, church. Let's re-engage. Let's step up. And let's pray to see a breakthrough. Thanks for listening to the Awakening Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. If you want to learn more about our church, visit us online at awakening.global. We'll see you soon.